it's not always the best thing to get the most talented players, but you need to get players with character that can work hard for the team. beautiful people it's your boy tito and g-man and welcome to another episode of maintain the design um today we have a south african legend in the building former springbok and blue bulls winger conan dungani conan how are you doing i'm doing good t-man how are you guys man awesome 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 how's the start to your year been so far ah uh, it's been uh, a bit up and down um yeah you know, because obviously um, it's been a crazy time. It's it's crazy times at the moment, mm, but I think yeah. you know, just being able to finish uh, a rugby tournament was a blessing on its own. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so at least you know we got something done. So not complaining at all. Yeah, and 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 with like everything that's going on right now, are you aware of how it's affecting like? Um, let's say, matriculants from last year, for example, that play rugby, are you aware of how that's affecting them in terms of the, the prospects of becoming professional rugby players? Yeah. Because obviously they um, weren't... I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that um, obviously the guys that uh, were matriced last year, um, some of the ones yeah. were spotted maybe the year before when they were still playing and uh, were offered... Yeah. I think maybe bursaries to the Sharks, Bulls, or the other unions. Um, and I think, you know, um, some will be fortunate enough to be able to get a contract. Um, but unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's tough for the other ones that were not noticed a year before or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, 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 it, must be, it must be difficult for them, especially if they missed their opportunity the year before and they've worked hard or looked forward to working hard this year to get an opportunity. Yeah, it 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 must be, um, and I think it's just unfortunate because you know no one knew what was coming, um, no one planned for it. It just affected, uh, yeah. um, and unfortunately, you know, if if you're on the other side um, of not being selected, it's just unfortunate. But for me, I just I, I don't believe it's the end. Um, there's still other avenues yeah. for you to mm. you know show your talent um, in terms of varsity cup and. Even if you don't have a bursary, if you get accepted to a varsity or, um, you know, you've got an opportunity to play varsity cup or varsity shield. So there's still those opportunities for those youngsters that still uh, would like to take it uh, as a profession. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And um, Akona, like um, an athlete's career, right, um, is very structured and routine in terms of like um, training and regiment and diet and stuff like that. So... Since you since you retired from the game, like um, how was that adjustment? Um, just adjusting to general life after, yeah, after rugby. After <laughs> to be honest, career. it's been it's been challenging in the sense that um, I think, like you mentioned, uh, your body goes through a routine um, in terms of training, your diet. You don't have to worry much about what you eat because you know you can work it out. Um, but you're still strict on yourself. Yeah, so it's. I think, you know, if I just go back, um, you know, towards the end, I had uh, decided to just take a break 
completely. Yeah. Don't train, don't run, just enjoy life um, uh, as a normal person. Um, and I think that only lasted for about two, two or three months um, <laughs> up until I started not fitting in my pants. Then I thought, <laughs> this is definitely not for me. Um, then I, you know, I just slowly um, started to uh, start training again, um, just trying to stay in shape. And I think for me, you know, it's 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 always better to be in shape and, you know, um, not to be overweight, even though now I can enjoy things that I couldn't enjoy before. Um, but I think discipline is still right there at the top. You know, I just still yeah. have to go into the gym, have to run, have to, mm. yeah, just enjoy and be healthy. Yeah, true. Yeah. Is your, is your, is your training still, I imagine, is it, is it, it's not like the rugby training, it's not weight-based and, and you know, yeah. conditioning, it's more, is it cardio and stuff, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's more like maintenance now, um, just, you know, do some weights, uh, maybe go to the gym like three or four times a week okay. and then do some cardio as well in between to just try and balance it as well. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now it's just about enjoyment. Mm. Okay. Interesting. And um, how long do you think it is like before retirement, before you actually start thinking about what it is that you want to kind of like pursue and what type of life you want to live after something that you, after pursuing your passion, you know, and then being involved in a, in a long career, like how many years would you say you start to think about life after, after the sport? You know, T-Man, to be honest, it uh, differs from player to player. Um, and I think, you know, most sports people don't think about um, your passion coming to an end, if you understand. Yeah. Um, mm. You always think it's just going to go on. And I think, to be honest, you don't actually think about it uh, because you're still in the yeah. moment, you're still enjoying it, you're still getting to compete and getting to perform. Um, unlike, But, you know, there are some players that actually start to plan maybe three, four years before they actually retire. Um, and I think yeah. those are the ones that are able to, you know, move on to that next chapter um, mm. without any issues. And unfortunately, you know, um, most of the sports people don't plan, and that's why you see a lot of them not being able to adjust afterwards, um, you know, and having issues in terms of depression, in terms of not uh, – because it's, it's completely wow. different, you know from playing, uh, making so much money, and now you have to adjust. Yeah. Um, you're not playing in front of 50,000 people anymore on weekends. Um, your life is normal, you know? Mm. So yeah. I, mm. I think, you know, yeah. you know the, the, the guys that get it right are able to plan five, four years before they actually retire so that, you know, that transition is, you know, as swiftly as possible. Cheers. Mm. Mm. Um, I I just uh, also because now we're talking about that. Um, so the the earlier journey because I mean you're a guy from East London, né? Mm. and how was it moving to Pretoria and and sort of trying to fit in with that culture? Because it's uh, I mean East London Pretoria two completely different cultures. How was that? And where are you staying now? Like what are you up to? Are you still sort of the Eastern Cape boy or? The Pretoria side went out. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, so I was I was born in Umtata, um, in the Eastern Cape. Mm. Then uh, we moved to East London, my family and I. Um, so we finished our metric, I mean, our high school in East London. And then, um, mm. like you said, uh, Eastern Cape is completely different to Gauteng, um, and especially Pretoria. Mm. Um, 
the culture, Afrikaans, yeah. the language, just everything. So it was a it was a yeah. a very different, um, obviously challenge. Um, but I think for me, because my brother played for the Bulls before I did, um, you know, I spoke to him about <laughs> it, and he gave me sort of like some pointers to look out for, and you know, just. Don't try and overthink the challenge that's in front of you. Just make sure that you grab it as, as much as you can. And I think that's what I did. Um, and, you know, to just add on to your question as well. So I no longer stay in Pretoria now. So my wife and I moved to Joburg. So I'm mm. based now in Joburg. And uh, out of all the places, which which do you love best? Um. Obviously, Eastern Cape is still home, uh, but I think I've settled nicely in Joburg, mm. um, even though my wife would like to move okay. out to Pretoria, but I think Pretoria for me is not, uh, <laughs> it's not my type of place. <laughs> true, true. And um, Akona, just to go back to, back to um, the beginning of your journey, mm. um, what actually like inspired you to get involved in, in rugby and who are your role models? Because um, Jiman and I, I think we had this conversation on a previous episode where we said, you know, when we were growing up, um, as a young black mm. boy in South Africa, you were discouraged from playing the sport, you know, mm. because of the history of the sport and our yes. country, yes. you know. And we, at the time, we also didn't have many players of color yes. to look up to, you know, yes. there's only a handful, including yourself. So yes. um, who did you look up to and, and, and what actually got you into playing the sport? Well, um, you guys are spot on about that. And I think for me, um, what got me into the game, uh, my dad used to play the game uh, when uh, we were staying in Umtata. I used to play for a club there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we used to go watch him on weekends. Um, and I think for me, I didn't understand the game very much because, um, like you said, in the big teams like the Bulls and the Sharks, um, they were not a lot of people to, you know, relate to. Um, and um, growing up, you know, we just played soccer. I enjoyed soccer. And um, up until I moved to East London, and that's when, you know, I decided to give the, the sport to go and see how far it can go. And I think for uh, yeah. men, it was all about, you know, just we got there and we stayed, told us there's trials for under 14. And we're like, okay, well, my dad played the sport, so... Let's see if uh, we'll be as good as him. And I think that's how it started. And, uh, you know, from there, never look back. And we actually realized that when we made the A side, that, okay, we can be actually good at this thing. So, and then, yeah, yeah. we just started yeah. there and just kept on working hard. And, um, mm. yeah, even though it was a tough road, uh, but I think at the end it was all worth it. Yeah, mm. nah, it panned out nicely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to ask him, um, so also from, um, as you're saying, starting out, because, uh, I mean, you paved, I think your 07 went paved uh, the way for a lot of guys, you know, in terms of sort of you look at the makeup of the team now and yes. what it was when you were playing. Because yes. I think you were the, you're only, it was you and someone and J.P. Peterson, I think, the only guys of color in the team at the time. How, how was that? Yeah. What was that process like? And obviously, looking like looking at this team that just won it, how do what, what do you feel when you see them now? You know, yeah, it's. I think you know you're spot on. Um, you know, if I look back in two o seven, 
the players of color were not we're like a handful. Uh, myself, JP, mm. uh, Brian, um, Wayne, Julius, um, and you know when I look now, mm. and I was actually having a chat with a mate of mine that you know in terms of players of color, we're just a few that have actually won a rugby World Cup uh, for the Springboks, and now. Mm. There's so many. Sia, Lukanyo, Makazole, you know, and, and it's exciting. Mm. Um, and I think that's what the country needed. And um, because now, you know, a lot of kids growing up now from Ezwide, you know, they know Sia's from there. Now they mm. also want to play the game and want mm. to represent the country, you know, from Cholom, uh, Makazole. You know, so it's, it's a good thing that mm. the guys, mm. um, you know, were performing well. And actually won, um, and you know mm. I, I remember when, yeah. when when we came back in two thousand seven and we did the bus tour, you know just driving around the country and seeing the faces, you know seeing everyone black and white mm. coming to the streets and supporting us, and mm. you know now watching the guys now in twenty nineteen coming back, and you know just remembering those uh, great times and you know just seeing the excitement in the country, just seeing. You know, everyone being united and being behind the team is, I think, what we all strive for mm. this country. And, you know, we cannot uh, ask for anything more and just be happy that, you know, Sia Kolisi and his boys mm. went to Japan and brought back that trophy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, um, Akona, would you say, you, you know, you mentioned um, the difficulty of, of like, actually becoming a pro, you know, and how, how hard the journey is. Mm. Um, would you say you ever had, like, doubts about what you what you wanted to do professionally or was rugby always it? Like, was there ever plan B or did you just think, um, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to give my all to actually achieve this? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, once once we started uh, playing and making the A team, making the first team, uh, you know, it's something that we thought, you know, let's let's give it a go and see how far we can go. But unfortunately, I think back in the times mm. um, when I told my parents that, you know, we want to go pro, they were like, ah, what is that? No, 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 no. Go study, become a doctor or something. We don't know of any rugby professionals that can survive on, on that. Um, so we had to study. Yeah. Um, so I studied Quentin Survey. And unfortunately, you know, I couldn't finish it uh, because of the commitments that I had in terms of training and playing on weekends. Um, and I think my parents only yeah. realized that, okay, we can do this as a profession because, you know, it, we started getting paid for it. We started, you know, able to do things that uh, we can, we wanted to do for ourselves and for them. Um, and, yeah. you know, that's when you gave everything to it and then, you know, see how far it goes. And I think we have been very fortunate in the sense that, um, like when I spoke about challenges, um, not being able to get picked on weekends and, you know, just going through injuries um, that can put doubt in your mind. Um, and and we all understand that it's part of the game, but sometimes, you know, when you sit there and you, you're injured and you're not sure what's going on, if you can still make the team, that's when you, you know, you need that uh, family support um, just to, you know, bring you back and make you understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and, yeah. and I think for me, I had that. And I was able to, you know, come back from um, very uh, horrific injuries. 
and be able to play and continue to do what I enjoy. Um, so I was very blessed in, in that department. And I think, you know, if I look back now, um, you know, it, the game has taught me a lot, um, you know, patience, perseverance, uh, mm. discipline. Um, and it's things that, you know, I want to uh, continue doing in, 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 in life now after rugby and, you know, things that I can teach my kids one day. Mm. 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 Um, just because you mentioned it now, uh, Tito and I were actually talking about um, our injuries from rugby. What were yours eh? and what were the worst ones? Do you still suffer effects from them? Yeah, um, you know, G-Man, I actually broke my leg twice. That's that's those are the that's the worst injury I've had. Mm. Um, you know, I've had the other ones: ankle sprain, yeah. groin, um, you know, fracture of hand. Um, but I think the the leg break for me mm. was because I missed out on you know two seasons. Uh, missed yeah, out. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, two, final. I missed out on twenty ten Super Rugby final in Soweto. Uh, yeah. So if I look back, those those are the injuries that um, you know uh, put me back a, a lot. Um, mm. But you know it's it's part of the game, and you can't complain uh, because it happened. Um, mm. But mm. I think for me, fortunately now I can still run. I can still do a yeah. lot of things where most players can't. You know, mm. some of them struggle with their back uh, or their hip flexor. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not complaining. I still have the pin in my leg. Um, I'm not keen on taking it out. So <laughs> we'll see how far I can go with that. <laughs> yeah. And and Akona, how would you say like um, the game has evolved in terms of um, addressing injuries, especially things like head injuries? I mean, we were watching the NFL a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there was a player who got a concussion, and a week later he was. He was playing again, you know, and that, that concerned me, but I didn't find that normal, you know. Because um, yes. I've also been involved in the game um, in a coaching role as well for about six years. Okay. And one thing, one thing I'm glad and happy about was to see how they tightened up and got more serious about things like head injuries, you know, because I had to be yeah. a head injury that affected me long term, you know, even yeah. after I stopped playing. So yeah. how, how, how would you say the, the evolution has been? Um, I think it's been it's been great, um, and we can see with how the refs are refing the game now. Um, yeah. any, any tackle that's above the shoulder, you know, you get penalised, and mm. um, because they they realise that you know to try and prevent those head injuries, uh, because you know at the end you need to look after the players and the players' welfare, especially afterwards. And it's it's very strange for me when someone is concussed and then is back a week later. Um, because obviously concussion takes takes a while, and I think you know we've seen now when whenever there's a head collision, the players directly off the field. Um, even if he wants yeah. to carry on, you know the refs are very strict, and for the player to go do a HIA and to just understand how badly is his uh, concussion, and if it's, it doesn't pass, it doesn't come back to the pitch, and you know then it's up to the team doctor to just manage him and see how badly it was and. You know, it could be a three-week uh, turnaround or it could be a week. So it's been very impressive on how, you know, the game has changed and evolved in terms of making sure that the players are well looked after. Um, mm-hmm. They try to avoid any serious uh, injuries that could impact the player um, once he's finished playing. And 
I think it's good for the game because you want kids to come and want to play the game and want to play it fair and to still be able to, you know, bring that physicality to the game because that's what the game is about. But in a way that is controlled, that is not dangerous to the other players. Mm -hmm. And um, as we just spoke about the final, what do you think about Super Rugby sort of, uh, or South Africa exiting Super Rugby and moving to Pro 14 with the Northern Hemisphere? What do you think about it? Um, yeah, it's it's a very uh, sore subject that oh, it's uh, I think for me personally, <laughs> um, it is. And I think, you know, having New Zealand teams mm. and Australian teams, you know, competing against those and Argentina, mm. um, I think it, it's, it's it's been there for over 25 years. I remember, you know, when I was still in high school watching the Hurricanes, watching Tana Umaga, Jonah Lomu, yeah. Joe Roth, uh, mm. Stephen Markham. And oh. those were the guys that, you know, you wanted to, you know, um, hopefully compete against um, sometime in your career. And, you know, to see it coming to an end now, mm. um, very sad. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at how the competition has evolved from, you know, Super 12 to Super 18 and mm. Super 15, um, you know, and you could see that the excitement from, you know, the fans was not there anymore. You don't see people going to the stadiums. Mm. And you can understand why, you know, they want to expand the game. They want to go to Japan, mm. you know, grow the game in those countries as well. But unfortunately, I think that's where it actually lost that um, the city city about it. Um, yeah. Because you know, it was always, you know, strength versus strength. Mm, and that's mm. what people loved watching and love seeing. And for players as well, that's what you wanted to do, you know, compete against the best week in, week out. And because that brings out the best in you. Um, and unfortunately, um, it had to come to an end. Um, and I think for me personally, um, you know, I look back and be happy that I was part of a team that, actually won three Super Rugby titles um, in mm. South Africa and will be the only one. Um, so yeah. it's a record that I always give it to my brother and he does it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a right yeah. that I have. Um, and I think, you know, moving to the Pro 14, different challenge. Um, you know, I've been watching some of their games and, you know, it's going to be very, very, very challenging um, because we've seen how the conditions are that side. Um, a lot of mm, kicking, yeah. a lot of you know, four dominant players. Um, but there's still some exciting backline players that, you know, I'm looking forward to see. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches manage their teams um, mm. in terms of yeah. playing style. When they go to, you know, Wales or, you know, Ireland and come back to uh, sunny Pretoria or uh, Durban mm. and how they adjust in terms of their game plans. So it's it's going to be an interesting one, and I'm looking forward to see how you know the teams pan out there. Mm, mm, mm. And do you think um, that'll be to the detriment of SA Rugby, or do you think you know a new challenge is, is what's needed for the game to grow? Because I mean, when you play against um, teams from Australia and players from New Zealand as well, I, I believe like you're playing against some of the best players in the world. You know, mm -hmm. so mm. do you think that's going to drop the standard of of South African rugby, even though they're trying something different? I don't think it will. Um, I think it will be a different challenge. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, we've seen how hard those teams play. Um, yeah. So it will bring mm -hmm. out another dimension to the game. And 
we saw how the Springboks, you know, played in the World Cup, you know, using that forward dominance. And that's what you need against those Northern Hemisphere teams. Um, and I think the, the nice thing about now playing in the Pro 14 is the time zones. Uh, you know, we're not going to be waking up at five in the morning having to watch a game. Um, even for the players, you know, traveling from here to, to London, it's easier than going to Australia or New Zealand. Mm. Um, so the players are away for three weeks and the time difference is, you know, an hour or two hours compared mm. to eight or seven hours from New Zealand. So in that, yeah. in that sense, you know, it might be, you know, something different that, you know, the fans enjoy and want to see. Um, and I think, you know, anything that's new brings out an excitement. You know, so yeah. and want to see how it's going to go and how well will our teams do. Because um, we've seen with the Cheetahs and the Kings, you know, they struggled a little bit. But I think, you know, we've got our four best teams in the country competing against those uh, other countries, um, mm. Wales, Ireland. And, you know, so I, I think we've got a very good chance now of actually, you know, hosting a final or a semifinal and, you know, actually winning it. Um, so yeah. I think there's a lot of excitement in the air and um, I think everyone just can't wait for that Rainbow Cup to start. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, yo, you took me down memory lane when you were, when you were rattling off the names of all these legends, Bullarkham, Takiri, mm. uh, Glatham. Um, so obviously, because, I mean, we, we, we've played well and I think your team, the Bulls, I mean, it was the only South African team to dominate Super Rugby, you know? Yeah. Uh, the rest, it was predominantly uh, the New Zealand teams and a few Australian teams. Yes. Um, what, what do you think? Because So we do well at World Cups and we, we've competed against them and do better. What, what do you think is, is, is the reason for that gap, you know, or the reason that gap was there in Super Rugby uh, yeah. from the South African, between the South African teams and you know, New Zealand and, and some of the Australian teams? Yeah, and, and it's a very good question. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at how we performed between that 2007 and 2010 era, um, and, mm. you know, we had a very, um, very good game plan. And, you know, we had great players. Uh, we had, you know, mm. great halfbacks and, you know, forward pack that complemented that. And, um, mm. you know, our game plan was very simple, you know, get the ball to the forwards, let them get over the advantage line, you know, then we try mm. and dominate them physically. Um, and, you know, if you look at the the Sharks, um, because they're one of the players, the teams that actually went on overseas and competed very well. Um, they taught very well. They won games there. Um, and we've had mm. some, you know, close ones where the Stormers would host the semifinal yeah. and lose it mm. um, at home. And I think it's, it's a very tough tournament to win. Um, you know, the Crusaders... Mm have managed to find a way to actually win it, I think, seven or eight times. Yeah. Um, which yeah, is unheard of. And it just shows mm. you the quality of, you know, the coaching and the structures that they have, the culture that they have, to be able to produce mm. players that will be competing and competing to win the tournament. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, um, towards the end of the tournament that, you know, the Lions couldn't win it, um, having played in three finals and, coming away with zero mm. wins. So mm. it, it, it just shows us that, you know, it was a very tough competition to win. And if you're not there on the day, you know, um, the Lions yeah. at Ellis Park, you know, you would expect them to win. And then just small moments turn the game around. Kwaka Smith gets a red card. Mm. 
Now you're playing against mm. the best team in the world. You know, you end up losing the game. Yeah, yeah mm. so it's 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 uh it's tough to pinpoint. Uh, but I think it's just those soft moments where it matters for the team to just capitalize and and not able to capitalize on and end up on the losing end. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and uh, Makona, you spoke about um, the, the 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 Bulls period of dominance there, mm-hmm. the two thousand and six and two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say was the key to getting the players to perform at that at that type of high level, especially in um, a competition where where G Man has just mentioned? You know, like there were times where the the, the teams from Australia and New Zealand looked like they were going to dominate. You know, so. How did you guys manage to keep that high level of performance as a unit and, and keep that consistency and dominate during that period? Yeah, I think, you know, I remember um, when I first got to the Bulls and, you know, we're still building. And I remember Coach Heineken Mayer saying that, you know, it's not always the best thing to get the most talented players, but you need to get players with character that can work hard for the team. Because at the end, you need to find a team that works well together. Um and I think the squad that he brought together for the, for those years mm. was a very well balanced squad. Um, and if you look back, you know it was a very solid and heavy pack that will dominate other forwards. Um, and you know for it to pre mm. at nine and um, take Ohad or Monestain at ten, I think kicking game mm. back then you know was very dominant. You need to have a very good kicking halfback, and that's what we yeah. had. Um, and then we had myself and Brian who could chase kicks yeah. day and put the oppositions mm. under pressure. And, you know, once we get in the half, we make sure we put them under pressure, either get the three points or get um, seven points. So I think the game plan that we had um, was a very simple but dominant game plan. And and I think what also was important, we knew that, you know, you have to win your home games um, to stand a chance of hosting a home semifinal uh, because, Chances of you going overseas in Australia or New Zealand in those tough conditions and win a semi-final is going to be very tricky and very demanding. So it's easier when those teams come here and you know you've got your crowd backing you. You've got you know everyone up for it. Um, and I think once we realize that in two hundred seven, after winning it, then we realize oh we can actually do this again. And unfortunately, two hundred eight we went through a, t- a tough patch. Um, and then 2009, we started rebuilding and going back to what worked for us in 2007 and um, went back to those, um, you know, facets of the game. And, you know, it worked mm. and we were able to be able to dominate and, you know, host the home final at Loftus. And I think, you know, back in those days, we, like, we kind of, we knew that going to a game at Loftus with 50,000 fans, it's going to take a lot for mm. other teams to beat us there. So. I think, you know, a bit of uh, confidence yeah. as well, not um, of underestimating other teams, but just believing in what you guys can do. And and I think that it worked for us and we made Loftus a fortress. Mm, yeah, yeah, man. Indeed. Um, so I wanted to ask a question. Um, so obviously when we're starting out and, uh, you know, as black guys, we always, um, we always end up playing wing, you know. Because mm. we might be a little faster, uh, whatever. Yes. Did you have any other position that you would have uh, wanted to play, or were you always an out and out winger? No, actually, I started off at centre. My brother and I played centre, okay. um, 
and I think you mentioned it now, but, uh, you know, most black players yeah. have, have the speed and, you know, then we get moved mm-hmm. out uh, to the wings. And funny that you mentioned that. Um, we, I was chatting to Makazole yeah. and he was saying to me that he also played center back when he was still young. And uh, I think now, you know, he mm-hmm. got moved to the wing and it doesn't seem like he's out of place. You know, he's, you know, scored first a Springbok winger to score yeah, yeah, yeah. the World Cup final. So I think, you know, the pace for us mm. is what, you know, makes us move to the wing. And I think most players, if us, you yeah. Them, yeah, they started off at centre or fluff or fullback and then ended mm. up moving to the wing. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever change that? Yeah. They'll, start, uh, they'll start playing us in, in, in other positions, you know? Because, I mean, speed... <laughs> Utilizing the centers, utilize that fluff is always good, you know. I yeah, think. yeah. I think I think it's, it's you know different it now um, because we've seen guys like Juanisilis Milani. Mm. He's got pace. Um, he's young. Yeah. He's exciting. Mm. You know, playing at thirteen. Mm. Even though sometimes they move him to to wing, but you need Juanisilis in that midfield, you know, to create for the players outside. Yeah. Um, mm. There's Rukanyo Arm, who's you know was one of the best centers in, at mm. the World Cup. Um, so, yeah. you know, if you look mm-hmm. now, um, you're seeing guys that, you know, are good at those positions and getting opportunities to play in those positions. And I think it's good because I think if you look on the wings, we're blessed in terms of talent and pace. You know, we don't need mm. those. We need those centers to stay there and those flav to stay there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. And, uh, Makona, you mentioned your, your brother there. Um, you know, I think every young man's dream, you know, if they have a brother, more especially a twin brother, mm. is to succeed, succeed on the same level. You know, it's something that's very difficult. You know, sometimes you find that maybe yourself and your sibling do the same thing, but one maybe yeah. succeeds more than the other. Yes. You know, so how, how, how does it feel, you know, knowing that you and your brother actually reach the same kind of heights professionally? and you know, like how 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 was how was the the relationship growing up in terms of just like pursuing the sport? Yeah, I think if if we look back now, we feel um, we were very blessed um, because you know to play mm. over a hundred games for Sharks and the Bulls um, mm-hmm. and uh, play for the Springboks as well. You know, it's a blessing on its own, and I think you know for us as a family uh, to have that. Um, and be able to compete against each other, um, you know, it's it's something that we'll always cherish as 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 my brother and I, and I think as as for our family and for our kids as well, you know, um, they'll be able to mm. look at those memories and see, you know, what we're able to achieve um, in a sport where you know not a lot of black players were able to excel, um, and mm. I think you know. Now, th- times are different. Um, you look at so many black players playing well. We spoke about the World Cup team, you know, um, that had so many players of color playing and starting and, and playing well. And yeah. I think, you know, we look back and we are happy because we feel that, you know, times have changed. And I think Coach Rasi Erasmus also put into it. And he realized that, you know, um, this sport is yeah. everyone. It's not only for a select few, and mm. he's gave opportunities to players mm. to actually show what they mm. can do, and it's been great to see. I quite so. I have to ask you this: just uh, 
Because obviously, as, as 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 fans, we see something else, you know, on the on the pitch. Yeah. Um, who are your top five players? Top five players that you've seen, played with, or played against? Just guys you thought, you know, amazing. Um, top five. Whew. I think the first mm. one that comes <laughs> on top of my head um, was uh, Tana Umaga, um, and I think purely mm. because I loved the guy, you know. It's actually, it's actually <laughs> but, you know, I, I used to, when I was still young, uh, matric, used to mm. rush home to watch the Hurricanes play. And, you know, I used to watch him step and how he runs with the ball. <laughs> and, you know, mm. uh, then before you I think so, yeah, definitely. <laughs> enough to play against the Hurricanes at the Westpac Stadium. And Tana was playing there and still doing the same things that I used to watch. TV, you know, so it was a, a moment that, you know, for me is a, is a, is a moment that I'll always remember. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, there's been a few. Uh, Dan Carter um, has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Farid Dupree, I spoke about him. Brian Habana. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, mm-hmm. if I also pick one from Australia, I think George Gregan was just one of the best halfbacks that I think mm-hmm. um, played the game. Um, you know, he brought a lot mm-hmm. of uh, the scrum ups that you see now, you know, um, you know, I think he started the way that the scrum of play in terms of running off the base and stopping those pillars and attacking uh, them, and keeping them honest and, mm-hmm. you know, his passing game. And I think it's just his combination uh, between him and uh, Stephen Larkham mm-hmm. was just, you know, an amazing combination. And, um, you know, I remember I used to watch mm, the Brantys mm. in Australia and how they played and how they actually changed the game yeah. to more taking game and how they, you know, ask questions on defenders and, um, you know, we're just mm. excited to watch. And I think if I can just mention those, I think for me, you know, those were like... Mm. Mm. There you go. And, um, and um, at club and international level, who would you say were the toughest team teams that you played against? Um, I think at club level, I would say the there was a game we played against the Highlanders um, in Dunedin um, and we lost mm. 7-0. Um, it was rain. It was just a tough, you know, forwards were coming and like, you know, we, the Bulls had big pack. And, you know, they were yeah. hit all the time going back and the weather was just horrible. And I think that game for me was like the worst, the toughest game ever. Um, and I remember, you know, coming off that game, you know, feeling sore. And I think I only recovered mm. like a couple of days later. And that's when I, I actually respected those guys from, you know, New Zealand. <laughs> you know, mm. they were scared of the that, uh, you know, everyone's scared of. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I think the worst international game has to be um, my Springbok debut, actually, against Australia, where we lost uh, 49-0. Yeah, it was uh, uh, yeah. horrible, horrible. Can you imagine? Yeah. And you, know, and you know those rugby games, they feel so long when you're losing and Yo. you're taking a beat. My man. Yo. It takes forever. You know, it feels like nothing is working. Um, yeah. <laughs> especially playing, and Australia is the worst place to play in. Um, you know, we, 
played against. Even yeah, they had a very good side, but with, they didn't deserve to beat us by that much. But mm. I think you get those games where just nothing doesn't come right, and mm. you're trying, and nothing just keeps going bad, and mm. you see the heads dropping, and you know you get the fans chirping you, and yeah, uh, yeah, it was just Jeez. one of those worst games that I think was seen in a spring of jersey. Mm. Yeah, sure. And um, any any coaching on the horizon? I mean, you feel like it. <laughs> no, no. I think for me, um, uh, coaching is nice. Not, not for me. Uh, not even the kids. I, not even I, the kids. I, I admire people that you know uh, are coaches, and mm. like I remember when we were watching the final, and I was chatting to Victor, and I'm like, you know, if a player would do something like that, you know, those soft penalties that sometimes players do without thinking. You know, just yeah. play silly penalties. Yeah, hands in the rack, sort of. Hands yeah. in the rack or taking someone in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, you know those things. You're not supposed to do them. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I would just lose my mind and, yeah, I won't yeah. be able to control my mind. <laughs> I'm okay just being on the sidelines. And I think what, what my brother and I, we started a player management company. Um, and mm-hmm. I think for me, that's where I feel I can add more value because I can, you know, help the players um, try and assist them not to make the mistakes that we did. And, mm. you know, sometimes, you know, players don't listen. They think they know it all. True, um, true. So just try and give them advice and, and uh, guide them as much as we can. Well, yeah. Um, can we get the name? Can we hear a bit more about you, about the, the player management? Yeah. So um, the player management company is called Zingisa Management. Um, we named it after my father uh, because I think he's part of the reason why we started the, playing the game and, you know, got us into the game. Mm. So we we decided to start this agency um, once we retired um, because we felt like, you know, it will be our way of giving back to try and assist the players um, in terms of, like I said, you know, making the right decisions, um, getting them good contracts, um, and just trying to guide them in terms of what what I spoke about earlier on, just planning for your post-rugby career because, you know, we, when we're playing, we always think it's going to go on forever. Um, mm. We're not going to be like Tom Brady and play at 43 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you need to start planning. And, um, and and the nice thing about it now, you know, there's uh, like Japan now is, is paying nice contracts as France. Mm. And, and we're seeing some nice movements with the unions now in the country, you know, with the Sharks having signed that deal with this American company. Yeah. Rock Nation mm. uh, and yeah. signing with the uh, buying a share at the Bulls. Mm. So you know now there's nice opportunities for players to make actually make nice money so that they're able to look after once they're done. Mm. Um, so uh, I think that was part of the reason why we started that um, the agency. Uh, yeah. Okay. And Makona, um, you and your brother also have. Um, a foundation, I understand as well. Yes, correct. Yeah, so it's called Ndungane um, uh, Twins Foundation. Um, yeah, and I think the reason why we wanted to open the or start the foundation, rather, um, you know, if you look back where where I'm from and my brother, you know, the Eastern Cape, um, there's a lot of talented players there, um, and unfortunately, you know, the resources are not the same as what you get here in Pretoria or mm-hmm. Durban or Cape mm-hmm. Town. Um, so, you know, so we, we, we decided to start this foundation and 
um, just identify kids that have the talent um, that come from a place where they won't even have tackle bags or you know rabbit boots, um, but you can see they show talent. And I, you know, we've spoken to the schools in the Eastern Cape and Pretoria and Durban, um, you know, to try and give us bursary for mm-hmm. the kids. And because I, I think for us, education is also comes hand in hand with what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Because unfortunately, you know, not everyone is going to be a Springbok. Not everyone is going to be, you know, play for the Stormers' handed game. Uh, but at least, you know, if we can push this education in the game, now we give the kid options, you know, to either go a professional sportsman or be a profession in engineering or, or whatever. But to just try and improve his life and hopefully, you know, he can go back and, and try and, uh, you know, improve where he comes from. And I think for us, uh, because unfortunately, you know, the schools in the Eastern Cape or Mtata or, you know, Ekuwa, you know, are not up to standards as where you'd want um, these kids to be in, you know. So I think for now, but the the picture is to, you know, try and go back and improve those schools instead of taking the kids out of there. Uh, But... That's that's still in the pipeline, but for now, it's to just identify those kids and give them opportunities in other places where they can better their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's um, that's wild. And then, um, is there is there is there any like uh, what kind of action could be taken to sort of to sort of um, to donate towards that? Um, so basically, um, you know, I'll I'll give you. Uh, I must just get the email address and the website, um, and then I can I can give it to you guys. And I think you know we we've been fortunate enough to have um, Hollywood Bets as our you know sort of uh, donor um, that have, um, you know help us to be able to support these kids. We've got two beneficiaries um, currently mm. starting at Hudson Park. Um, you know both uh, been covered. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, hostel fees and school fees. Oh, and, okay. You know, those kids were, you know, you know, in a difficult situation, but now they're able mm. to, you know, be in a better place. And I think, you know, any donation will be more than welcome. Uh, because, mm. um, the more we get, the more we can help. Um, so mm. I'll definitely mm. send um, through those uh, details to you guys. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That'll be we'd love to get to because I think that's a, a really wonderful initiative. You know, I think um, if we have more initiatives like that, it could actually benefit um, a lot of people. Yes, correct. Um, and uh, Akon, I just want to go back to 2007 for a second. Um, on a, on a personal one, I'm sure it's, it's it's one of the most successful years in your in your career. You know, and. Uh, the reason why I, I won't forget um, 2007, um, never mind the World Cup, was because I used to be a boyhood shock supporter, and I'll never forget Brian Banner <laughs> just squeezing in that last minute try. Yo, I was devastated. Yeah. Um, so imagine. So how difficult is it to like tr- have such a great triumph and then put your head down and focus for another challenge like the World Cup, like? How difficult is it to to get your mind in the right place for that type of challenge? Because you just achieved something big, 
but now you've got another huge challenge, you know? Yes, yeah. And and some might say an even bigger responsibility because it's at a, a national scale, you know? A lot of people, the whole country is looking at you, so... Yes. You know, how, how, how difficult is that? Um, I wouldn't say it's difficult when I team in, um, and, and purely because I think, you know, once you play at that level, you always want to achieve more and you always want to go and better what you've done. And, um, you know, I think... 207 has to go down as the best year for me. Um, um, and, you know, you mentioned it um, starting up in Durban, um, in that final, um, where, you know, everyone thought that uh, we had lost. Um, everyone was celebrating. I'm sure you were one of those people celebrating. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Brian scored at the end. And to just win it like that, I think, you know, was a start of something great um, to happen at Loftus. Uh, with the Bulls and the team. Um, and I think, you know, just now, you know, enjoying that moment. And I remember, you know, we had a, a training camp the Sunday in Bloom. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, running into John Smith and Franz Stein and all the guys. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're still on that high of just winning. And we just had to be respectful because now we've got a different mission that we have as a team. And, um, you know, I was listening to, because I'm a very keen golfer as well, and, um, you know, yeah. listening to Bruce Kepler, and, um, you know, he always, you know, told himself that once he's won a tournament, you know, try and win more and to try and achieve more, yeah. and try and improve. And I think that's what all sports people want to do and to just try and go and be better than, than yesterday. And for us, you know, the mission for the 207 World Cup started in 204. Um, when Jake White said, you know, the plan, the first meeting we had, the plan is to win the World Cup in France. And, you know, it was, it, it's a plan that's been there for over four years. And, you know, uh, we went through difficult times during those times, uh, between 204 and 207, you know, um, the coach almost getting fired, John Smith not good enough. Mm. And, but those things, you know, they always bring the team together and, um, because we had one goal and we had one focus, and that was France mm. in seven, um, we'd never, you know, shifted from that. Um, and we always had that uh, that same goal. And you know, to go down in France and to play and almost being knocked out by Fiji in the in the quarterfinals, um, you know, um, mm. and, you know, beating England, I think, by it was uh, thirty eight points to nil, and then facing them in the final and you know, having to come back to zero because it's a final, it's a different game. Um, and, you know, Danny Rousseau, yeah. the tackle at the end. Um, you know, just small things mm. that happened along the way. Um, and, you know, it just makes it worthwhile at the end when you look back and think about what you achieved. And, um, you know, so in 207 to win the Web Ellis and to win this first Super Rugby title um, was just an amazing year. And, um, you know, one that I look back and unfortunately to my brother and to T-Man, you know, something that they want mm. to get. But I think for me, it's just been an amazing, was an amazing year. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and um, obviously, since we, we, we spoke about Zingisa management, because, um, you know, obviously, the, 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 a sort of following a sort of um, sporting path for a black person isn't as easy as, you know, I think as, as other people, because mm. there's, um, 
usually they're like our parents are pushing us to chase academics mm. and you know things like that or a job right now how does how does that get balanced and um do you know i mean sport ends sport training ends late now you have to catch taxis you yeah. know what i mean a lot later how does it how does it um how does it work you know or how does it um yeah i don't know how's the journey you know from, um, so i think we, from, we uh, similar, yeah so we've signed um i think about we've got about eight or nine players in our in our books um and unfortunately enough we have um mm-hmm. up and coming talent um and you know we 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 always uh, make sure that we tell our players that you know you have to study um you have because you know mm-hmm. rugby players always think that they don't have time which is is a lie you know mm-hmm. there's so much time that you have that if you put your mind to it you'll able to finish a degree or a diploma um obviously it, you just have to manage it in a way that mm-hmm. it doesn't affect your training or your studying um and because like like i said you know yeah. it's it's something that as players you need because 10 15 years down the line you need to be able to fall back onto something and you know people think that's a long time yes it is but it goes by very quickly mm-hmm. you know one moment you're still there mm-hmm. you on a high then next moment it's over you know then then next uh, batch of mm-hmm. up and coming players come through and it's just a life cycle so you have to make sure that you plan properly you plan well um and i think that's where we come in and try and and, and guide them to be able to yeah. plan and and make sure that they're able to you know have a good life while playing and still be able to enjoy and have a good life once they finished Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Akona, thank you so so much um for 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 coming onto the platform and having a conversation with us. It was really a great honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank thanks you so much. And uh, yeah, it's it's really just a great honor to speak to a legend, you know. Thank yeah, you so much. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, I on a personal note, on a personal note, you made a lot of uh, a lot of black kids. I mean, we're in grade 7 at the time. You made a lot of us fall in love with rugby, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, for sure. In high school, so no, uh, thanks, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the support and the love. Thank you.